Hello, I'm Gail Gibson, accredited master coach, speaker, author, and podcaster. Welcome to my podcast, The Can Do Way. My guests from across the globe have can-do stories of growth, resilience, and success to share. Tune in and be inspired by these individuals who have developed a strong can-do approach. Each one of their stories is unique. Each one of their stories has a key message. This episode, I'm talking to Alexis Hasselberger, coach and facilitator. Now, Alexis is a time management and productivity coach who helps people do more and stress less through coaching, workshops, and online courses. Her pragmatic yet fun approach helps people easily integrate practical, realistic strategies into their lives so that they can do more of what they want and less of what they don't want. Alexis has taught thousands of individuals to take control of their time And her clients include Google, Lyft, Workday, Capital One, Upwork, and more. So welcome to the show today, Alexis. Thank you so much, Gail, for having me. I'm excited to talk to you. Wonderful. And you know, just before we um, started recording, we were talking about a little bit of chaos that's going on in my life right now because I'm moving. And so it really ties in beautifully with what we're going to talk about and find out more about how you make this happen for your clients and how you arrived at doing it as well. So first, Alexis, can we take a short walk through your life? If you can give us a glimpse of your background and how you actually came to be helping your clients do more and stress less. Sure, I would be happy to. So I, I'm going to start way back, but I promise I, I won't stay there too long. So <laughs> um, I was a kid who was just always kind of obsessed with my own ROI on time. You know, I, I was like the eight year old that would make myself a weekly schedule and I would cross reference it with the TV guide to like make sure that I was getting the best half hour of TV I was allowed to watch. And so you know, I was always a kid and, you know, in high school and and college, I was always trying to figure out how can I still get, you know, straight A's, top marks, but also go to class as little as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's just kind of the the person that I always was, was a person who wanted to do excellent work, but also with the, do it with the least amount of stress and effort so that I have a lot of time for a lot of other things. Um, And then when you go into the work world, I spent the first 15 years or so of my career managing HR and operations and um, kind of facilities and that that type of thing in startups, very early stage startups, uh, where there was always just way more to do than, than people to do it. And people started coming to me for time management and, and productivity types of things. People were often you know, asking me to you know, help streamline processes and how can we make this better? And, and I was always looking for ways to put processes and systems in place to support us so that we didn't have to, um, to work really long hours because <laughs> I didn't want to work really long hours. I wanted, to, I wanted to do a great job in a short amount of time. And so over time, people just kept coming to me more and more for that type of thing. And it really um, became something that I realized, okay, I, I could probably help people with this as, as a business on my own. It doesn't just have to be a part of what I'm doing for other people. That's amazing. What a, what a great beginning. And, you know, it seems like it was almost in your blood, right, from childhood to just say, you know, I want to be 
better organized so that I can get the most out of my life. So I don't have to be working all the time and I don't have to be studying perhaps. And I can really live fully knowing that I've got everything else done and I can manage that time the best that I can do. So where do you feel that that inspiration to be that eight-year-old came from? Was it your parents that were showing you that or was it something else in your childhood that inspired that in you? You know, I'm not sure. <laughs> That's a really hard question. I'm not really sure. I think, um, you know, I, I like to refer to myself as a very driven, lazy person. <laughs> and so, <laughs> so I think there was always just some part of me that really got a kick out of, you know, how can I do a good job? And also just have a lot of time for what I want to do. And like when I was a kid, that was, you know, I know playing with Barbies and like, you know, doing reading. I read a lot. I like to have a lot of time to do the things I wanted. I think my parents were definitely, um, you know, they gave us, they gave us a lot of autonomy and didn't really get in our way. They, they told us, you know, our job is going to work and your job is going to school. <laughs> <laughs> that they didn't really, you know, that was, that was kind of it. That was the direction that we got there. And so I think it it was just something internal within me that I, I wanted to make sure that I had a lot of time to do the things I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's, that's incredible. You know, just, I think that, you know, based on that life experience and if parents give you that independence from a very young age, you have to find what it is that you want to do. So you have to not necessarily fill your time because when you, I think with the mindset work that I do, when clients say to me, oh, well, I've got a space in my diary, I'm going to fill it. It's like, oh, that's a kind of a negative habit to get into Mm. because that creates more busyness in our lives. And so as a child, you explore the realms, as you say, of reading, of making time to play with Barbie, but you didn't you were just given that freedom to do that as well. And I think that's a fantastic foundation for you. And it sounds to me like, even though you use that term, you're a very driven, lazy person. <laughs> it's been that common and constant thread in your life ever since. Yeah, I, th- I think that's true. And yeah, I think you're really right about kind of the autonomy of your parents letting you kind of make your way, right? You, you figure out what's important to you earlier. Mm-hmm. So how long have you been working for yourself then, Alexis? When did you take that step away from your corporate role and set yourself up to look after the clients that you now do? So it was only in the beginning of 2018. So, you know, three and a half years or a little, you know, almost four years now that I went off on my own to do that. And so, you know, my business has been growing pretty rapidly since then. I think it there was definitely a need for, for these skills. I think that's something that, that I found working in the corporate world and working at startups is that nobody teaches you how to use your time well when you're mm-hmm. in school, right? And so people were, you know, people were hungry for this sort of thing. And, and so it hasn't been that long, but at the same time, it feels like I've been training for it my whole life, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you're mastering, you're mastering your premium skill. That's what you've been doing all your life from eight years of right. age. Right. So tell me, you. it sounds like you've had that instant, almost instant success and that rapid growth as you shared. So tell me, what were some of the initial challenges that you did recognize coming away from corporate and stepping into working for yourself? What was different for you? 
Well, I think, you know, I, I had a lot of autonomy in the jobs that I had previously, but I think there's a couple of things that are, and it, it wasn't just instant success, right? <laughs> we gloss over some things, but I feel like the, the thing that's really different is that you, you have to hustle for it all, right? Nobody knows who you are. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows what you do. Um, you, you know, unless you start telling people, nobody will know. And so I think that that was a really big shift for me was like learning how to talk about myself and what I was doing in a way that didn't make me feel kind of gross, you know, like the mm-hmm. like overly promotional, right? Um, and I, I think there, so there's that side, that's kind of a, a real challenge of getting out there and being, being, you know, self-promotional when that's not something you're really used to. And then I think the other is, is a real joy, which is that you get to wake up every day and everything on your task list is something that you put there, right? Mm -hmm. Everything is something that you're building towards what you want instead of working towards somebody else's goals. Yeah, that's wonderful. You know, I think that's one of the greatest joys of working for yourself because you get the choice to work with the clients you want to work with. And Mm -hmm. yeah, like you say, when you look at your daily, weekly tasks ahead, if they're bringing you joy and you're doing the right work for you that brings out the magic in you and helps your clients to step beyond their comfort zone, then you know you're doing the right thing and you're, right. Help, you're making a difference in people's right. lives as well. But if you're looking at your, I guess for a lot of startups that I've spoken to over the years and a lot of entrepreneurs, those first few years is really quite challenging, but it really does boil down to mindset. So when we talk about this can-do approach, which is what the whole essence of this podcast is about, yeah. how do you feel that you've used your can-do mindset to actually win through some of those initial challenges and then adapt and to be able to flourish as you are now? Yeah. Well, I think part of it is I just always assume things are going to work out some way or another. Right. And so I don't spend, you know, I'll give you kind of an example of this. One of my kids came home from school a couple of years ago and he had a school assignment and it was that he was supposed to interview his parents about, you know, failure and interview them about a time that, that we had failed in something. And so first my son went and he asked my husband and my husband said, I, I can't really think of anything. Go ask your mom. And so he came and asked me and I was like, you know, gosh, I can't think of anything either. It's not that, and it's not that things haven't gone wrong. It's mm-hmm. just that we don't typically think of these things as failures. I just think of them as like, oh, I learned something I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll be able to do it better next time. And so, so I really think that, you know, around the mindset stuff, it's, it's that, yeah, not everything is going to go smoothly and things are going to be hard and that's just life and that's to be expected. Um, But can we learn something from every time it goes wrong? And if we can learn something from every time it goes wrong, well, then it hasn't been a failure. We can can just carry that in to, to be better the next time. And so how do you feel that that helped your son in his quest to find out what failure meant and then how you build resilience? Well, I hope he took, I hope he took what, you know, from it that, yeah, things, you know, you can, you can have what is called a classic failure, but if you have learned something, then you don't have to treat it that way. You certainly don't have to feel bad about it. And I don't know, I'm not sure. I'm not so sure we helped him finish his assignment <laughs> which was to interview us, but, um, but I, my hope is that, you know, he feels that you can just try things and it's okay. And that you'll keep pivoting until it does work out. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges for so many people, you know, with challenge comes change and change is that scary mm-hmm. for so many people. You know, I I 
we all get faced with change every day and for the last few years we've all been through uncertainty everything that very challenging times and change is coming about and is happening every day as I said but with that change you know you grow so much again so that's another one of those really strong mindset techniques so mm-hmm. when it comes to change for you then Alexis as you've grown your business and you're you're talking in your client list with some really big names in the world so what are you seeing in terms of change that is really helping you to be more resilient perhaps in business or even flourish even at a new level in the work that you're doing now yeah i mean i so when i think about change i think you know just like you probably you know a lot of a lot of our clients are afraid of change and people are afraid of change like everyone's afraid of change right and so one thing that i always think is if we can reframe change as experimentation then it's a lot easier to just move forward because i think when when we even though change is this kind of constant um, it it feels like it takes us from one place into another place. And what if, what if we don't like that other place, right? And so if we can instead view change as experimentation, every time we're, we're trying something out and then we're going to iterate it on it from there, then I think, you know, in our own world, it helps us to be a little braver about the decisions that we make because we're not thinking, you know, this is the, the end-all be-all decision and, and I can't change it after that. We're thinking it's just an experiment and I'll see what I learn. And then I also think it's a really helpful framework for resilience and for, for kind of getting to a change that works with, um, with coworkers and with, with your family, because, you know, lots of people are resistant to change, but nobody wants to be the person who's unwilling to experiment. True. True. That's, that's really, that's an interesting point you've raised. I think, you know, I think change almost forces it on us, doesn't it? Because you you have to I, you have to do something when you're confronted by change. Mm-hmm. You have to yeah. go either way. You either bury your head in the sand, or you actually look at it and go, as we've both said earlier, you can learn something from it. Where can I? What can I explore or experiment and discover more about ourselves? But the bottom line is, you have to do something to move beyond that change that's happening in your life. Right, right. And it doesn't, you know, and I think some, I don't know if this comes up for your clients as well, but I think that sometimes we expect that it's just, it's going to be comfortable <laughs> and change is, is not comfortable. And, you know, one of my my favorite cheesy quote of all time is that there's no growth in the comfort zone. And, and so I think that comes up a lot, just this, you know, well, I'm doing this and it's hard and it doesn't feel good. And I always try to, to reframe that for myself and for, for people that I work with as, Yep. And when it doesn't feel good, that means that, you know, we're making progress. Yes, Yes, exactly. Exactly. So when you talk about, um, as you do about organization and this, the, the mindset that's attached to that so that people can do more and stress less, Mm -hmm. what are you noticing in your clients at the moment, um, that they're struggling with and, and how are you helping them best? What new, perhaps new ways have you brought in, um, to adapt and, and grow your business? So I think, you know, the struggles that my clients are often facing are, are that they have become quite successful through brute force, 
right? So right. they have been working really hard for maybe their mid-career um, and they have gotten, they've achieved some level of success that feels good, but they have done so, you know, maybe at the expense of their health or their family or their personal life or, you know, all the other parts of, of life that make up life. And so, uh, you know, a challenge that I think they they often face is not only just the sheer amount of workload and emails and all the things that are on their plate, but the idea that they think they can somehow actually do it all within the time that that they have that we all have allotted to us and so i think that you know what i what i do that's a little different i think from a lot of productivity people out there is that i am not trying to just like shove more productivity <laughs> into people like we are really trying to say how does your time align with your goals and your values and if it doesn't then what changes can we make to get you closer into alignment with whatever your goals and your values are. And I, and I have no judgment on what, pe what people want to do with their time, but how do we get that closer? Not let's just try to do all the things and can you sleep less and do more, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I really like your approach there because it's, you know, it really touches on that grassroots of the fact that every one of our lives are very different and every mm -hmm. one of our goals and what we want to achieve and how we want to live our lives depends on the individual. So yes, as I agree with you, there's hundreds of productivity tools out there and there's apps you can use and there's many people that have created fantastic tools that people can use, but that is almost adding more stress to people because they're <laughs> thinking, I need to keep up with this platform. And I know there's things like Asana and there's um, all of the different platforms, Trello, et cetera. But is that just one more thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. They're, they're just tools, right? I think like there's no tool that's going to solve a problem of us mm. being overwhelmed, right? Um, there are tools that can help with it. And so whether we're talking about Asana or Trello or TikTok, I do think that it's really helpful to have a task management system because then you don't have to store all this stuff in your brain, right? If we can stop relying on memory and use some sort of external system, that's fantastic. But it doesn't really matter which system it is, right? It's like, just pick one. Um, you know, some of they, they've all, they're all slightly different and they're all pretty much the same. Um, but I do, I do think that, you know, it's good to have one place to put things. Mm -hmm. I agree. I agree. It's almost like a personal CMS, isn't it? Whatever that looks like yeah. to you, it's how you bring that together and how it really does work for you. Right, right. And different people, you know, want different things out of their tools, right? And so I think it's it's just really interesting that, you know, a lot of times people feel, they feel like they failed if they've kind of, read, they've read getting things done and then they can't implement it or they, <laughs> you know, they downloaded Asana and like they can't get it to work for them and they just feel mm -hmm. this kind of sense of you know, this additional failure, like they were trying to solve this problem and then they kind of failed at solving it. When you're right, that people are just very different, and we need to actually find what works for each person, not um, not assuming that all people fit the same mold. That's right. That's right. And something just to share that I did recently was shift my task list from being online in front of me on my Outlook calendar to Kanban. Um, my chart on the wall where I've got a, a backlog list, a to-do list, a doing list and a done list. And then down the side, I've got some quotes of inspiration. But every morning, it really helps me go in. I've got little sticky notes. And rather than scraps of paper on my desk that then were creating chaos, I've got everything listed in the particular columns. Mm -hmm. And 
what I'm really happy about and what I've seen a shift in is my done list has got mm. more stickers in it now than it ever had before. And it's like, <laughs> it works for me because it's something visual that I can go to and I can look at and say, well, I've moved that. I can move that to there. So in the morning, I'm like, what are the three tasks I'm going to focus on? I get mm. those stickers out, I get them done, and then I move them to the done list. And it's just, it really has transformed the way I'm working and I'm, I'm actually, I realise that I'm achieving more things behind the mm. scenes when I'm not coaching and it's just, it really is something that works for me and I think that ties in so much with what we've been talking about. It has to work for the person. Right, right. And I think something that you're bringing up and something that's true for some of my clients and not others is some people really like that physicality of it, right? Mm. Like having something right in front of you, moving, like physically moving the sticky from one place to the other. That's really, that works really well for some people. For other people, that doesn't work at all. Like they're, they're, you know, they're going from place to place. They're not in a, you know, they're not in a place where they could actually move sticky notes around. And so they have to have an electronic system, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's that experimentation and knowing, okay, this works better for me. I'm going to keep doing that. This doesn't work for me that well. So I'm going to try to change it and experiment with it. I think you're right. That's what's, it's really important to just find what is the thing that works for you. Yes. And so let's step away from the work and tasks and productivity for a moment. How do you manifest that in your downtime? So what do you do, Alexis, to switch off from work and switch on to you? Yeah, so I, um, I'm a segmenter, you know, in, in the terms of work-life balance. I really like, um, I like to have strong boundaries between work and home, even though, of course, we are still in a pandemic and we're all working from home and mm-hmm. that I have worked from home for the last seven or eight years, even before I started my business, but I really like strong boundaries. And so I, um, I don't answer email, uh, on the weekends or in the evenings. I don't do any work in the weekends or the evenings like that to me is just time for family. Uh, I don't have notifications turned on for anything. So I don't accidentally see a work email or something like that on a, on a weekend on my phone. I just have all of that turned off. And then in order to kind of keep me Um, honest with myself and in integrity with others. I also have an out of office reply that I put on the weekends that just says, I, it's the weekend. I'm, I don't check email on the weekend. I'll be happy to answer you next week. And for more information on why I'm taking, you know, this break check out this blog post about why taking breaks is really important for your productivity and your mental health. (laughs) Fantastic. Fantastic. But you are, that to me just says that you that matters to you and that those your family is the most important part of your downtime because it's and it's quality time that you're taking with them because if you were chaotically running around and saying oh there's just that one email which is what i'm hearing in so many linkedin posts and things like that where people are really struggling with this whole work from home scenario and the prolonged level of it that we're going through mm, is people mm-hmm. just going if I just walk past my office, I'll, I'll just nip in there and I'll check that email. But what that does is removes any chance of a strong boundary happening in their lives. Would you agree right. with that? I do. And I think it just, it, it just has to be. And I think the problem with working from home, right, is, is that we have to be so much more intentional about these boundaries, right? You know, if when we're in an office, there are boundaries in space, there's boundaries in time. 
not everyone wants strong boundaries like this. Some people actually really like having, you know, integration back and forth. Um, but for those of us who don't, you have to kind of recreate these, these um, boundaries that existed in an office world. Um, and so I think you're right that when people, people have been feeling like they just have to be on all the time. I feel like people felt like that before the pandemic. And now that, you know, we're all working from laptops and our couches, um, I think people are just feeling that even more. And I, I think that it's, it's this false sense of urgency because, you know, we, we give ourselves this double standard, right? It's like, you wouldn't email someone, um, at 7 PM and expect that they would be responding to you in the next five minutes. Like mm. I don't think, right. Mm-hmm. But yet we expect that of ourselves. Like if somebody sends us an email, we just expect that we're going to drop everything and answer it. Even when that's, that's not really what's intended. So I think there's this double standard we have for ourselves there. Yeah. I completely agree. And it's, it's, yeah, there are ways around it. And I think we've explored many of those things in the conversation today. So we come to the time in the interview, Alexis, if you could share with the listeners your three can-do tips for success or for productivity, what would you like to share? Yes. So I would like to share a couple of things. One, never rely on memory. Like let's use our brains for doing the tasks, not for remembering the tasks. So whether it's, you know, a big Kanban board on your wall, like you have, Mm -hmm. or whether it's, you know, an electronic task manager, like I have, whatever that external hard drive for your brain is going to be, just pick one and stick to it and don't rely on memory because it's doesn't work very well. And it's really stressful. You always have that nagging thought in the back of your head of, I know I'm forgetting something. I just don't know what it is or when it's going to come back to bite me. (laughs) Um, I think another tip that that I have is if you can do a little bit of planning at the end of your workday for the next day, I think this is really, uh, it's really powerful for two things. One, you get to start the next workday with no activation energy required, you just get to execute on your plan. But two, when we um, when we do that little bit of planning at the end of our workday instead of the beginning, we are able to kind of tie up the day in in a bow and you know put our work hats away and actually disconnect from work in a way that is a little harder to do when we still are are have all of those open work loops in our brain. And so if we can do a little planning in the evening or you know in the late afternoon, then that really sets us up for both having you know a, a evening where we can be present with whatever it is we're doing outside of work and being able to start the next day, just ready to go. Um, and the last tip that I'll share is that, uh, just turn off all those notifications, (laughs) all the notifications for email, for Slack, for social media, for games, you don't need them, turn them off. Uh, you will save so much time and you will not miss them. You know, I do not think I have a single client who has turned notifications back on after they have turned them off. Um, There's a study out of UC Irvine several years ago that showed that when we get interrupted or distracted, and that's literally every time we hear a ding or a ping on our phones or on our computers, that it takes us on average 23 minutes Mm. to refocus on what we were doing. And so that stat just stays with me. Well, it's almost half an hour for every hour we're working that we're losing, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's, yeah. yeah, 
It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Yeah, it is staggering statistic. I love yeah. all three of those and particularly, you know, the second one, which is hmm. planning the end for the success the next day. You know, I love the fact it's almost like you're saying, thank you for what I've learned today and I'm ready to and look forward to what I can do tomorrow. So it's a, it's almost an internal gratitude part of your day that you can say, I've accomplished this. I've got that task done and I'm ready for what I have in front of me tomorrow. So thank you for sharing those three fantastic tips. And uh, I share with you and I have all my notifications always turned off when I'm (laughs) fully present with, um, especially during coaching, but when I'm wanting to work on tasks, the last thing I need is anything pinging. So yes, I completely agree with you. And my final question for you, Alexis, is why do you feel a can-do attitude is absolutely essential? Oh, gosh, so many reasons, right? I mean, I think one, who a can-do attitude is positive, right? And like, who doesn't want to be around positive people um, who feel like they we're going forward with something? And then also, you know, we can be our own harshest critic, but we are also the people who can believe in ourselves the most. And so if you don't believe you can do it, then you know, there's going to be a lot more roadblocks in the way. If you can approach things knowing that, you know, you might not know how to get there, but you will get there eventually, then you can feel, you can feel that positive sense of momentum the whole way. Fantastic. What a wonderful way to summarize what's been an absolutely amazing conversation with you. And I just go back to that fantastic quote you shared that you consider yourself to be a very driven lazy person and you know you've I know the inspiration that you've shared will really touch the lives of my listeners and I hope that they take a lot of inspiration away from the techniques and just your especially your three can-do tips that you've shared today thank you so much for being my guest on the can-do way Alexis well thank you so much for having me it was really fun Thank you for listening to today's episode. Do you live and breathe a can-do attitude? Have an inspiring perspective, a life-changing experience, or intriguing story to share? Always curious, and with an insatiable appetite for a good yarn, I invite you to be my guest. Do get in touch via my website, gailmgibson.com. The Can Do Way podcast, refreshing, positive and real.